We are calling forth the spirits today, both living and dead. We are discussing the great heroes of the imagination. The trajectory of many artists' lives are often deeply influenced by their imaginative heroes, yet they are rarely discussed. But we intend to change that right here, right now. Artist Journal, March 1st, 2023, broadcasting live from Berlin and New York City on Rug Radio via Twitter Spaces. My name is Adrian Pocabelli, and we welcome back our co-host, Runetune, who has just put out an open edition this week on Object.com. Runetune, can we pin up your open edition as a link? Absolutely. Let me, uh, let me get that going now. Great. And while you're doing that, I am going to ask you to multitask. Hey, everybody. And I see some wonderful people here. Rorich, Dr. Version, Martin Joe, Mikey D, Mikey De La Creme, and more. I see Jules and many more. Thank you for everybody. District 468, welcome, who collected some work earlier this week. This is awesome. Welcome, everyone. And Runetune, as you are pinning up your, your piece, uh, your open edition, which was super interesting and original, I thought, how is your week going? It's been going great. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a frustration trying to get the open edition going. I realized, uh, thanks to Popple, uh, for the great advice to switch browsers, um, it appeared that Object had a sort of Google Chrome object bug. Because as soon as I switched browsers, the issue that I had was taken care of. So take that advice with you all. If you ever have any object bug issues, or if you think something's wrong and it's not you, just switch browsers. That seemed to, to do the trick. That is very- and I'll be doing that more often in the future. <laughs> You'll be switching browsers more often in the future. Well, good to hear, Bruntoon. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, just out of curiosity, which wallet are you using? I'm using the Kukai wallet. You know, me as well. I've, I've never had any issues with Chrome, but uh, do, do you know what it was? Like, were you on the incognito or something like uh, that? No, it, 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 was, it was really a, a browser issue, uh, wise from objects. So I, I was kind of like rampantly messaging all the people I could think of. Uh, and I was on Discord and trying to get the, the issue fixed. Um, but wise reached out and I... I told Wise like exactly the issue that was happening. And so essentially what was happening is anytime that I would create the collection for an open edition and choose standalone plus open edition, uh, the Kukai wallet was receiving it as the object marketplace standard collection. And I had, I made a, I've actually made a few collections thinking that it was me, but it really wasn't. Uh, and so as soon as I switched browsers, the Kukai wallet received the, the correct uh, open edition collection request to create. Interesting. Strange. Yeah, I found it surprisingly kind of tricky to put the open edition together myself. I mean, it was there's a slight yeah. learning curve for those who haven't done it. You have to create a new collection. And so even if you want to make your work in one of your other collections, you basically have to make a special collection just for your open editions. Probably a technical thing on their side, I'm assuming. But uh, how are you finding the experience of doing an open edition? Uh, just, you know, it, I, I found it quite fun, uh, surprisingly so. I didn't think it would be, you know, as kind of fun of an experience as I was expecting. Did, did you find that as well? Yeah, it's, um, 
I mean, I had no idea what to expect, but I'm just like totally thrilled, you know, by the whole experience. I, I just opened up my open edition. It looks like 35 have been minted. One of those was me sending one to a uh, popple as like a little thank you because that was life-saving <laughs> art saving advice that popple gave me. But, uh, I think that this is a great way to go for works that you feel like you want multiple editions and you don't necessarily know how many it, it solves the issue of how, how many do I mint, uh, in a lot Absolutely. of ways. And I think, I think Go in ahead. the future, I'll probably do another open edition, um, you know, for something that I feel like I want to have a few more editions of, uh, and maybe keep that window a little bit tighter, a little, I think they give you the option for two day or one day, uh, open editions. And I think I might try that in the future. You know, I was wondering to myself, like, could you just have a, like, did you, do you know if there's like an infinite time that you can do? Because it, that's also kind of weird. You know, that's a good question. I can't remember if there was an infinite one on object, but I'm pretty sure that through Manifold, you can do that. Didn't uh, Robness do that with the um, <laughs> the uh, the X copy? Uh, right, right. COO. I, he, I think he's doing an infinite. Wow. Yeah, because it is kind of a thing. Like, if you have limited works, like if you're not putting out enough work, like myself, you can run out of basically stock, you know, and you're sort of like, you know, to be kind of crassly businessman, like you're kind of leaving, you know, your chips on the table there, or leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. Now, in terms of collectability, of course, uh, you know, open edition forever, maybe that, you know, uh, it's just like money printing forever. Uh, well, that, you know, maybe that just isn't worth very much. So, but if, if you're charging a Tezos, I mean, maybe you don't need to feel so bad about it. So anyway, very interesting. So everybody welcome and welcome back Nikki J from last week and Gogo Lightus on the scene and Padrino, welcome everybody. So if you want to join this conversation, simply just request to speak and me or Runetune will bring you on stage. We'd be more than happy uh, to hear from you and everything. And yeah, so Runetune, have you thought about this topic at all? Uh, the topic at hand, the heroes of the imagination. I mean, this was was sort of a, a moment I had last week. And it, it just seems to me that, you know, there are these, I just want to call them heroes of the imagination. And a lot of artists, they're really, a lot of their lives are deeply influenced. Like the, traje the trajectory of their lives, as I was saying in the intro, can really be, you know, very, you know, influenced by these people and, and mostly by their imagine, imagination. So anyway, so do you relate to that at all? And, and if yeah, uh, who are some of your kind of heroes of the imagination? Definitely, I relate to it. I mean, the the topic is it's almost kind of overwhelming just because I don't know, I've been from a very early age, I was always involved with the arts. And from a very early age, I knew that I wanted this to be my life, you know, like, I didn't know how that would, you know, how the life of an artist would take shape for me. But I just knew that art was going to be a form of adventure for me forever. And um, so I've, I've had, you know, it's so hard to, to really decide on like, 
you know, because we, we only have so much talking time here, it's really hard to decide, like, well, who, who really are the big influences in my life? Because those early influences, even if they're not as prevalent for me now, you know, they, they really marked a change for me or, or a new direction and, and gave me a lot to work with that, you know, those effects are still felt. You know, I think when I was younger, and when it comes to like the canon of art, the fine artists, I think surrealism was really kind of the the entryway for me, something that kind of made sense and something I, you know, latched onto. But even before that, like you could, I could really point to so many other things that inspired me to want to create. I think, you know, as like a young person, I really liked, you know, Marvel comics and the artwork that was there and talk about a whole trove of imagination. I mean, comics in general, that's, that's its own rabbit hole that anyone can fall into. Um, and I was thinking a lot about this uh, in terms of like, you know, cause sometimes it's, you could easily think about the artists who you share some sort of connection with uh, in terms of like the type of work that you make. And then there are artists that just give you more of like, a, like a rhetoric to work with that kind of opens things up for you, whether or not you really share an artistic practice with the artists themselves. And someone who came to mind for me was Bruce Nauman, who's a multimedia artist, maybe one could say he's like more installation and and performance but i do remember coming across him and his ideas and to be honest his artwork never really did much for me in the beginning uh but he had this profound realization uh as a young artist that you know if you're an artist and you're in the studio then anything that you're doing in the studio should be considered art and for me that kind of like it unlocked a lot for me uh, in my creative practice. And it just really opened things up, not just for me as a creative, but for me as a person like looking at things and considering art. For me, it was like one of the, it was like, you know, like we, we might call it a Duchampian moment where all of a sudden so much more than just the paintings on the wall became part of the art. And even though I don't really share much with Bruce and Almond in terms of like what we make and what you know, art making, um, that was a, a huge, a huge moment for me. And so I've always considered Bruce Nauman in that way, someone who profoundly affected me as an artist. Um, well, yeah, that, that is a really interesting choice. I never would have imagined in a sense. And he seems like such a, and I was just looking him up here. And if I am not mistaken, he's the guy who really, popularized this neon you know the sculptural neon yeah uh, works right and like the neon lights and everything and making uh, and i mean he has so many and you know for lack of better term yeah well he, there are so many artists who are influenced by him that's what i'm trying to say here i mean i still see it i mean all the time you know in berlin i see people making these neon signs and i think it's actually hard to do because it's sort of like that anxiety of influence, because whenever I see the, the neon signs, you know, or people were sculpting with this, you know, neon light, I, uh, I immediately think of Bruce Nauman. And, and for you, so actually, I have a question, and there's a couple of things that you brought up, and I want to come back to Marvel Comp or to comics, which is, you know, deep, but as far as how, how old were you 
when this all happened? Like, because were you like me, where you were like 15, when, you know, you had kind of like these kind of, as you said, Duchampian moments? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're scattered throughout my life in, in various ways. And what's funny, too, is like sometimes you get the idea from one artist, but it's not laid out in such clear, sharp words as as Bruce Nauman, you know, sometimes you get these ideas just kind of through the ether, through liking a certain artist and liking their work and liking their sensibility. And then another artist kind of makes it clear for you why you like that stuff so much. And there's, you know, there's the the mental part of of the art and then there's the physical part of the art where it's like you're, you know, the doing versus the thinking. And some, you know, these things are all kind of connected. Um, for me, Bruce Nauman, I didn't know about him until I was maybe 19, 18, 19 or 20 years old. Uh, so he came a bit, well, not a bit later, but, um, you know, after I had already kind of established what it was that I liked uh, in terms of art. Um, I'm curious for you. So you you came across a lot of these these hugely conceptual artists when you were a teenager. I you know it's kind of interesting. I mean, I came out of I, my first job in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, was working in a comic store when I was actually 13. So I'd work for credit, as they say, because it wasn't legal to pay me. Um, but I was just there all the time, uh, totally obsessed. I mean, I started with you know stamps when I was probably six years old when I went to Italy for the first time. And I was given my grandfather's collection. Then I moved to trading cards, as many people in North America do, especially. And then I moved on to comics, which became a complete obsession. And, you know, it's not that dissimilar to me looking at these images here on Object. I'd spend my weekends really arranging and rearranging images, you know, or comics on my floor and just dreaming about the ones I didn't have, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, so I guess to the, my long-winded answer to your question was, yeah, I mean, Stan Lee, I mean, you mentioned comics. Stan Lee uh, was definitely, he's actually still, a, and I never thought of him when I was like thinking about this topic uh, ahead of time. But when, as you mentioned it, I mean, Stan Lee is a huge influence on me. He was a brilliant editor. You know, and uh, so, again, like, it, it's not that dissimilar to kind of picking and choosing works from object. I mean, he was kind of picking and choosing artists and he was crafting narratives uh, with it. But you, you know what I'm saying? So, but I would say, like, the breakthrough, though, because it was a comic slash end use bookstore. And the breakthrough for me was around 14 or 15. I met a friend who. Uh, was 10 years older than me, who worked in a separate used bookstore. And he started just cluing me in into the counterculture. So I got kind of fast-tracked uh, on the counterculture. Say so that, that was when I started getting exposed to Ballard, J.G. Ballard, William Burroughs, the counterculture, you know, even, you know, on, on the road, Allen Ginsberg, like a lot of people at that time. I mean, it was just like, it was just so kind of weirdly glamorous, you know, and uh, and then, you know, the great thing about Ballard, to your point about, you know, rhetoric and just this idea of people that inspire you with their ideas, you know, as much as with the art. I mean, he was such a great essayist. I, I like put it this way. When I engaged with Ballard's work and ideas, 
I, I found them so radical and different that they completely inspired me. And they have largely, I basically think he was right in a lot of things. He took a very surrealist kind of psychological, psychoanalytical view of the world, you know, it, you know, taking the news and really uh, dividing it into its manifest and latent contents. And very quickly here, I mean, the, you know, Freudian psychology, as far as I understand, the dream work, as it's called, uh, you know, what you remember in the dream that you tell the analyst, that is the manifest or the surface content. And the task of the analyst is to get to the underlying or latent contents, you know, the reality of what's going on, not just the appearance on the surface. And so you can apply this to the news. And once you start to kind of divorce these kind of surface rationales from, you know, like these kind of, you know, in the on the surface, like there's always a reason for everything. But once you start to kind of look beyond these surface reasons, you start to find different narratives. And so it's a way of kind of neutralizing uh, a, a lot of the emotion that you see in news stories and, and taking a different another view of them. And so that became hugely you know, impactful and, and influential on how I see the world. I still look at it all the time. You know, it's, it's sort of like Freud's, a, a cigar isn't just a cigar. Well, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's sometimes A, A doesn't always equal A, sometimes A equals B. So I don't want to go too far here. So anybody, you are welcome to share. And there's Lily Illo from Australia. Welcome, Lily. Uh, come on stage, anybody and everybody, just give us a request and, and tell us who you uh, were deeply influenced by. So, and there are some hearts from Lily. Great to see you. So anyways, I don't, I don't know what you have to say about that room too. And I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of the way that you're speaking about the, uh, the people who kind of give you the ideas and, and, and expand your perceptibility about these things it reminded me of uh reading about david lynch and he has this whole book you know kind of talking about his benefit of uh transcendental meditation and i like the way that he kind of describes the function and purpose of the meditation for him aside from like these kind of like quality of life things uh he was like well the meditation is never there to like give me the ideas and there's only very very few times where he came up with an idea during meditation, but that the meditation is there to, if your mind is like a container, to expand the container so that there's more room for more ideas. And, and I kind of, I, I like that, that imagery that he. It, absolutely. Are, are you guys still there? Yeah, you're still there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, sorry. It, Someone it, was trying to call me, so it probably interfered. Yeah, no problem. I tell my girlfriend between 3.30 and 4.30 on Wednesdays, please do not call. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, to your point, I mean, that it sounds like a, a process that's influenced you, an idea that, you know, of leaving space open, you know, for things to happen in your mind through meditation and not necessarily expecting like uh, instant results, if I understand you correctly. Definitely, 100%. Okay, very good. So super interesting. We will come back to that. But let's hear from Dr. Version, who has just joined us on stage. Dr. Version, it is an absolute pleasure to have you here. Uh, welcome. 
Thank you, Adrian. Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Yes. So tell us, where are you calling from and uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I am doing well. Uh, I'm in Winter Park, Florida. Um, still adjusting to this this <laughs> new location. I was in New York for 25 years, um, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around walking out the door and not being able to get on the subway or go somewhere or just walk to the corner deli. Uh, it's car culture here. Um, but anyways, all is good. I just want to jump in here because you started talking about comics and uh, and not an influence, but something I was really into were Dan- Daniel Close, uh, Like a Velvet Glove, Cast an Iron. That era of comic books I thought was brilliant. And I still, packing in my life and moving down here, I found the whole pile I have of them, um, which was great. Um, are you guys familiar with Daniel Close? I, I sure am. Yeah, working in a comic yeah. store. I mean, was that That's I'm trying a new to remember, one for me? That, that, is that a new one for you, Rune Tune? Yeah, it was uh, independent yeah. comics, uh, mid '90s. Was that Fanagraphics? I'm trying to remember. Do you remember Doctor Version? Um, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it was. You know, this is stuff that was in a box for 15, 20 right. years. So, I mean, um, he had such a distinct style, Dan Close, and he actually kind of became like. I mean, he's famous enough. Put it this way: that we're talking about him you know, all these years later. And like, he actually became, I think, kind of famous, you know, you know, 10 years later when comics became cool. You know, when I collected in yep. the nineties, I mean, it wasn't something you advertised, uh, you know, that you're a comic collector is kind of nerdy. And then, you know, in 2005 or so, all of a sudden it, it kind of had this chic, you know, nerd chic to it. So it's interesting that you mentioned Dan Close because I never would guess looking at your work. Oh, well, I just trying to stay on topic with what you guys were talking about. But uh, to circle back to biggest influence on an artist for me would be Roberto Bata, who, uh, if you're familiar, uh, you know, is he a surrealist? Is he an abstract expressionist? Uh, Who knows? But when I first saw his work in college, digging through the art book stacks, it floored me. And I've been a fan ever since. And if I go to a museum, that's the first thing I do. Where's the Roberto Mata? Um, that is so he's got a that is huge connection with me. Sorry to interrupt. I, I just want it's such an yep. interesting choice. I mean, yeah, as you say, I mean Roberto Mata, he's not your typical fan favorite, right? I mean, he's like he's usually kind of tagged on at the end of the surrealist show because he did some decalcomania and it was kind of it was, I think. You could consider him a quote unquote classic surrealist. He kind of get gets you know sneaks in there at the end. Um, but yeah, so th- that's just super interesting. Yeah, I don't know if it's because you know he was in New York for ten years, and if you do some research, and I think he really influenced Pollock and de Kooning, but then he left. And I don't know if it was some of his political affiliation or not being in the right collections, but you know, he is in a lot of major museums, but I think he's overlooked. And, um, but yeah, that's a favorite of mine. That is fascinating. Uh, and, and who else? I mean, are, are there, I mean, I consider your work, like if I had to roughly categorize it, I mean, it sort of seems like, I don't, and feel free to correct me or disagree. I mean, it seems like kind of video glitch. I don't know. Uh, how would you describe your work? Yeah, I definitely use, I, I used to, I went to school for painting. I got a MFA, but I was always doing video work on the side. 
So my work is generated from videos, but I, you know, the glitches, I'm not using a lot of them glitch uh, effects boxes and stuff. It's a little bit more pure. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I'm an artist because I'm not great at describing things with words. So <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think I, I, I really love a lot of the glitch stuff. And I, what I like about digital art is that it can move. I'm always drawn to something that's just not a still image because you have the advantage of it's digital. It can move. That's why I really like GIFs. And I should just mention one of my first, another artist that floored me when I first started getting into um, collecting and knowing of this whole world right around when Hickok Nook was almost done uh, in fall of 21 was Dose Artifacts. And his work, I think, is timeless. There's something about that looks very mid-century, something that looks futuristic, lo-fi. There's, it hits all these bases i think and unfortunately he hasn't minted anything since last summer i think um but if you haven't seen dose artifacts i know a lot of people have have checked out his work um i am or seen his work i am looking it up right now and tell me like i mean so you went to art school from the sounds of it right yeah and yeah. so you were in new york for 25 years uh what was your experience as an artist i mean it, i mean new york is Probably things can happen faster there, there than anywhere. I mean, tell us a little bit about your experience in New York. Um, yeah, you know, I got an MFA. I moved there when I was in my early 20s. And, uh, you know, I want to do some creative, you know, getting into a gallery show or whatever. It, it's a long story, but it didn't happen and I needed to pay rent. But I also played music and was in bands and, and was doing sound stuff. So long story short, I ran into someone on the street who heard some of my music that worked at uh, MTV. And he was like, your music would be great for, for this promo we're doing for the sports and music festival. I love your stuff. Um, it was a friend of a friend. And that's how I started doing that work. And it, it would pay the bills. But I still painted on the side. And it was frustrating because I'm like, I don't have time to do this. Then, you know, fast forward to when you know all this stuff hey you can you know there's this art scene going on that you can sell nfts and i'm not sure necessarily it's like the selling of it but it's like the community and there's so much going on that it's exciting so it, it feels like this thing i was waiting for home instead of going the you know the old way of getting a group show you know waiting you know it just it's the barriers were so huge. Well, and I know a lot of people can relate well, with that. I, I sure can. <laughs> definitely, I mean, definitely, definitely. Sounds like Runetune can as well. I mean, yeah, I absolutely relate to that. And I mean, it's such a New York story, the MTV thing. It's like, oh, well, actually, you know, I've heard some of your music and I'm from MTV, you know. So that's kind of a great story. And, but yeah, I mean, I totally, I think a lot of us relate. I mean, it's just the barriers to entry are so great. Uh, and it's it's partly right place at the right time, but I mean, it just seems like the odds are quite low. So to your point, uh, this is really a godsend, this whole kind of object NFT scene and the larger scene on Ethereum as well, uh, you know, and it sounds like that's what you were saying as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's something I've always wanted, but didn't have the time to do and now it's it's easier to get into. One last thing, I just if you haven't checked out some of the AI photography, I think that stuff is is really blowing me away. Um, I know you had a whole show on that, Adrian, 
on AI, which I, you know, I need to keep up with you because you, you, it's, it's great. You, but I, yeah, I miss a few and then I'm like, I got to go back. It's too much content. You cover a lot of ground. It's too much content. Yeah, but it's great. I, I want to get it. To I love like, what you're doing. I may go to like 20 or 30 minutes in the not too distant future uh, because yeah, it's just too much content. You can't expect people even only four times a week to dedicate 45 minutes. Uh, you know, it's too, like, I, I find it too much. I would never, you know, I would never spend that much time watching. A, actually, I probably would, but you know what I'm saying? I, so yeah, I, yeah, I echo your thought. Final question before we move over to MPP or unless Runtune has any questions, but just final question is, I, I'm just kind of curious because, you know, here I am in Berlin and I was just talking to a friend on the phone and I was like, you know, I don't need to live in these big cities anymore. I could move outside of Pisa where I just want somewhere that's got good access to a good airport, you know, and I just want to get and, you know, like it, these cities are kind of rough, you know, and it's sort of like, you know, I don't need to go to Kit Kat Club you know, on a weekly basis here. So I, I'm just kind of curious. So if you want to talk about it. Why did you move? And then we'll get back to our topic here with MVP. Why did you move and how are you feeling about it? Um, it was for family. I have a daughter who's four. You know, it's just proved difficult in the city. My wife had spent 10 years there. She was in Miami. We have family here. It was a, it was an easy move. And I got to say the, the, the weather's great in the, in the winter here. Um, but I do miss things and yeah, I feel like I'm out of the loop. And with my other job, which I'm a sound designer and, and mix audio mixer, I can be anywhere now, you know? And I would say, it's funny, you're, you're, you're talking about Berlin. Berlin's one of my favorite cities. I would say that's, <laughs> um, other than I'm sure the brutal winter <laughs> and the lack of sunlight. Yeah, it just came out um, like 48 hours ago. The sun has kind of reasserted itself and it, it feels like spring just visually because the sun has returned. It could just be, you know, uh, a, a fake out here. But anyway, that's fascinating. Yeah, well, enjoy the weather. I mean, it'll be great. And Dr. Version, don't be a stranger here. Yep. Like, come up and talk anytime if you have new work or anything. All right. Uh, Runtune, do you have any questions? Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, no, that, thanks for sharing everything. I, I uh, put, the, uh, put a little object link for Dr. Version um, in the spaces. You guys should all check this out. I know I've seen this through uh, your artist journal, Pokebelly. But um, yeah, Dr. Version, thank you. Yeah, Dr. Version, it, it's awesome really, really kind of rich textured, you know, video work. And really, I like the kind of simplicity. Uh, it's kind of like a canvas for experimentation. Uh, uh, do you have anything to say about your work before you, before we move to MVP, Dr. Version? Uh, no, just check it out and uh, it's for the viewer to decide. Okay, excellent. That's excellent. So, <laughs> but uh, thanks guys. Yeah, cheers. Great to hear from you. Uh, MVP. Great to see you back. How are you doing? And uh, where are you calling from? You're from, you're in Bangkok, aren't you? Yeah, good memory, man. Nice to <laughs> nice to hear you. I love uh, I love your spaces, man. It's it's great to hear people talking about engaging engaging with art in the way that you do. It's cool, man. Well, I totally appreciate that because yeah, it's uh, it's my Wednesday afternoon here, so it's nice that that people actually do enjoy it. And I'm not just trying to convince people to, to listen to me, so to speak. So I totally appreciate that. So in terms of the you know, MVP, now my memory isn't that clear. Are, 
Are you an artist? I'm trying to remember uh, what we discussed last week. And can you speak to the to our theme here a little bit, if if possible? Uh, sure. Do you have any heroes of the imagination, and talk about your art a little bit. Uh, yeah, go for it. To, to tons, man. I mean, I'm an art educator, so I've you know spent right. my life dig, digging into the history of art and history of photography. Um, and yeah, so I think the history of photography is is my inspiration. Um, and then, you know, as, as I move through time, you know, I definitely land on, on people who I think just changed, changed my view of what photography is capable of. So, yeah, I mean, early like Julia, Margaret Cameron, um, turn of the century, you know, pictorialist photographer and woman that was doing stuff that, you know, was, was blowing people's minds. Stieglitz is, you know, inter, you know, movement to get photography accepted as an art form, I think is awesome because it's so much parallels with what's going on with AI right now. Um, that, that whole, that whole like blow up. I mean, it was an absolute war between artists, um, traditional artists and photographers um you know 1890 to 1910 or so was awesome to to read about that um but yeah i think like if 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 i had to pick my biggest influence would be somebody like edward weston probably um very meticulous you know a student of light um textures and forms um Everyone knows his like famous bell pepper photo that he took, you know, that looks like uh, some sort of organic form, maybe a human form. Um, that's just stunning. Um, and he was doing early, early uh, fine art nude photography in the dunes um, in Southern California with with models in the 30s um, and looking at his work like it's so it's so modernist. But, you know, it's almost 100 years old now. So I love what he did. That is so interesting. And, you know, I have to say photography is a bit of a gap. Like, I mean, I know Ansel Adams, you know, like I kind of know like the really big people. But it's kind of a bit of a gap, kind of like movies are to a certain degree. I have these massive, you know, holes in my references. But I brought it up. I've actually never seen the bell pepper before. Uh, the oh. dunes are the dunes are gorgeous. And mm -hmm. so tell me a little bit like, so what is it about the help me out here? Because it does look really cool. But mm -hmm. I mean, you've kind of studied and been inspired by this. What is it about the work that really just kind of sets, sets you off? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like what the the deepest part of our, you know, human consciousness that recognizes something as beautiful like it makes us tingle it, it fires neurons in our brain and we call it beauty and these guys were into that like at the extreme like what is it that that causes that and like his, the juxtaposition of his you know bell peppers with the the dunes and the nudes i think strikes the chord like okay so there's something there um, and I mean, it's, it's so deep in the human psyche that the, you know, the human form has to be the most aesthetically pleasing. It's, it's our means of survival. That's why we've been programmed that way to, to see that as something that's beautiful. Um, but then like, yeah, add to that the way that light hits it, um, 
the the equipment that they were using and what they were doing with it is is mind blowing. I mean, I use I use the same equipment that he used, um, and it's it it it's craft. Um, it's not something anybody's going to learn how to do in a few years. Um, it's it's taken me you know the best part of my life to to master my craft, and and I think it does something that you can't do with modern equipment. Um, there's there's yeah, an aesthetic to it that that is gone or not gone, but it's you know only preserved by a few of us who are still working with it. You know, I think there's go ahead. There's a power to the photography. I think there's a power to photography. You know, for everyone, people kind of recognize photography as just being. You know, there's some of us who kind of understand. Okay, the camera's really good at lying to us. You know, there's so many ways in which it can you know, manipulate what we're seeing to make us see something different. But, you know, before you come to that conclusion, before you come to that realization, we're, we're all kind of the, the preconceived idea is, oh, you're seeing what you're seeing. This is what you are seeing. There's, there's something that like, uh, undeniable about what you're seeing, at least in the beginning. And I think, uh, you know, one part of photography for me, that's, that's always been a crucial element to the arts that that art can't really do is that it it is capture it's like the camera is not responsible for uh for any sort of misconception that you might have as a viewer uh it is just doing its job and i think there are so many photographers that i can think of where they're carrying on these stories or these moments that are kind of crucial uh there's something you know invaluable about seeing these photographs especially the er early photographers and capturing these moments that we otherwise would not have except for in paintings and we're kind of hinged on the artist who did the painting to believe that what we're seeing is accurate or you know in some way a portrayal of their time and place and for me, one artist or one photographer that kind of helps illustrate this point is uh, Jacob Reese, who is this early 20th century, late 19th century photographer in New York, who was really just using the camera as a means to document. And uh, he would use the camera to document these problems that were happening around the city. And he really only used the camera as a means to champion the poor and these you know these people who were struggling with different you know the inequity of certain people versus others and he was really just using it as a tool for himself but he came to be this kind of defining figure for for like the uh for documentary pho photography and i think there's something to looking at his images where it's not so much an art form or at least that wasn't the intention and then taking that into context and the power of the images themselves without this attachment to art and beauty. And there's so many different ways that a person could use the camera. And uh, I, I've always been really fascinated by photography myself. Yeah, I, I like that part of it. You know, you, the the like Ouija, I think, would have been an early example of, you know, the crossover between I don't know if you know him at all, but. 
100 yeah, percent yeah he's you know running around he's got a police scanner he's like beating the police to crime scenes and setting up his camera and and shooting and shooting you know documentary but in an artistic way like his work is looked at now as fine art but like he was a strange dude of course naming himself ouija um arthur arthur felig i think his name was um but yeah you know the whole magnum movement followed that right so like are these magnum photographers like journalists or were they making art and we look at some of the photos they took of muhammad ali and the queen of england and che Guevara like iconic images, the tanks in Tiananmen Square, and we know them and we look at them and there is something incredibly beautiful about them aside from what they represent um, about our, our reality. So yeah, I, I, I like that the camera can do that. Like you said, you know, I think that's something that is unique to, to the camera and to photography for sure. Well, I'm looking at your page here, MVP, and it is quite beautiful. So you're on foundation. And yeah, I mean, these are stunning works. And so what you're saying is you use like, are, are you using like a hundred year old camera? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. The picture that I posted up in the top is kind of my, one of my favorite photos that I've made that, that was, you'll have to find that bell peppers photo, but this is an homage to, um, to Weston. Oh, that is hilarious. I, I do see, I, I, I brought it up here on my own screen, oh, cool. the bell peppers. Cool. So that is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was and shot, it, that was shot with a large format camera and um, about a 30 second exposure, um, large format film. It was um, logistically, technically, that was not an easy image to make. And yeah, I, I really like it. And, and just on a technical basis, like how hard is it for you to source film for that? Like, I mean, you must have to pay a fortune uh, to get like, I imagine they're massive negatives. Yeah, they're, they're eight and a half, uh, eight by 10 inch or uh, six and a half by eight and a half inch. The eight Crazy. by 10 is still made. They're about 20 bucks a sheet. The eight and a half by six and a half by special order from Ilford once a year, they'll make any size film you want, which is crazy but once a year Ilford still does special orders so I order about 100 sheets a year um for that camera but you know at the end of the day it's it's a lot more like painting I'm not wasting film I don't shoot a lot if like this photo was one shot it, it I, I couldn't have done more than one shot so it was it was one one sheet of film about 30 minutes of of setup and then uh and then the go yeah it, it's such a, it's the opposite paradigm uh, compared to what we have now with these digital cameras where you take 20 photos and then you pick, you know, your favorite one where here it's sort of like, this is it because this is 20, 20 bucks or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my, my I, I, of course I shoot digital as well, but like my, my camera now, it actually can take a picture before you took a picture, if you can imagine that. You, you can press the shutter button, and then you can choose a picture before you press the shutter button. I, I'm trying to understand. So this is with the digital camera or with the... Yeah, yeah. So it's basically like taking photos constantly and storing them into a buffer. And wow. then when you press the shutter button, 
you can choose like within a, a second before you pressed it or a second after you pressed it. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Of, That's crazy. Of course. It's, it's ridiculous. Well, well, it's even like, look at the Apple iPhone. Yeah. It, it's similar. almost like it takes video. That's super high res, high, high res enough yeah. for it to be a photo pretty much. Right. And, and then it like sharpens it. Sometimes the Apple, I, like the, it sharpens it too much, you know, and, <laughs> Right. Um, I have another question for MVP, but just everybody who's out there, we still have this show has flown by. I mean, we still have 15 minutes. So if someone wants to come on stage, just make a request and uh, we'll bring you up here and we'll ask you about your uh, your imaginative heroes and who really just, you know, changed a trajectory in your life. So just a couple of things more MVP. I, so I'm looking at uh, Edward Weston, who you said was one of your heroes. And listening to what you're saying, it seems like kind of pattern recognition or something to that effect. Like it's almost, you know, like it's before abstraction, but it seems to be like, for lack of a better term, intimating abstraction, you know, with the just kind of looking at the formal qualities of a bell pepper, the formal, you know, qualities of a, of a sand dune. Does that any of that ring true to you? Spot on. Yeah. I think you're, you're right on the money with that. And, and I think that like he, he kind of sparked the F64 group with, with Ansel Adams was a part of that as well. And, you know, that's kind of what they were, they wanted to perfect. They, they thought that there was an ideal, most beautiful, and they were aiming at that using like difficult, you know, using the equipment that they used and really recognizing that there was, there was a target, you know, there was something out there that was, you know, incredibly, you know, pleasing aesthetically and they were aiming at that. So yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I studied mathematics and, uh, in, in university. So, um, you know, a, a chemist, a scientist, uh, a logician, um, before I was an artist. Uh, so that kind of all stacks on top of, of the reasons why I like to do what I do. And, and like, I'm, I'm, I just, did it did an ai project like i just finished uh i pl i did a the first uh poker game on the blockchain i minted a, a a set of ai cards um onto the blockchain and invited people to buy five cards and play a game of poker with the with the cards that they minted so it was a blind a random blind mint and sold it out in an hour and um the prizes were my photographs and like the whole thing, like, I hope I don't offend anybody in the space, but the whole thing was a big conceptual art project um, to say um, what I feel is that uh, the real is greater than artifice, um, that photography is, you know, a higher art form. It was the thing that people got as the prize. And the AI was was kind of relegated to a decorative role on the back of the playing card. Um, and the conversations that were had in spaces as we were building up was kind of like, um, you know, a little bit of a performative art piece. So it was a big project and, and was super successful. I was happy, happy with it. It sounds fascinating. And I'm all for strong opinions, particularly in the arts, right? Like perhaps I'd probably like at, in my heart of hearts disagree, but I sure hope nobody would be offended by that, you know, but I, I think you, you wisely say I mean, we can't assume these things these days either, you know, but uh, I think that sounds super interesting and cool. Um, so finally, since, if anybody, uh, again, 
feel free to come on stage, anyone, and share your, we have 10 minutes left, but MVP, if you're cool, I'm going to pick your brain just a little bit more because you said you're an art educator, maybe photography, and who do you think is inspiring? Are they kids? And if they're not kids, who, who's inspiring the people that you're teaching right now? Uh, do you have any sense of that? <laughs> um, social media influencers? I don't know. Meme artists, um, hip hop stars, pop culture, man. It's powerful. It's really powerful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have a survey of the students when they come into my room. Like, can you name a famous politician? Can you name a famous musician? Can you name a famous um, YouTuber? And then can you name a famous artist? And they just draw blanks. Can you name a famous photographer? They draw absolute blanks. With artists, they might get Leonardo da Vinci or somebody, but name a famous photographer, they can't. Like, that's not part of their world. It's not part of their vocabulary. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why we educate them, though. <laughs> well, absolutely. And sorry, how old are these uh, kids? Uh, 15 to 18. Okay, so interesting. So they're not like total kids; they're almost adults no. here. And you know, they're in a they're in a city that has plenty of of opportunities. Like we just hosted the Bangkok Art Biennale, four months of like incredible artists putting work up all over the city. So like, even if you're just going to the movies, you're going to walk past in the shopping mall. You're going to walk past, you know, some incredible art that's that's sitting. You know. Uh, we we had uh, the Chapman Brothers in installation here that was mind blowing, and like people would know it, but but the kids they just like have these lives that are so full of stimulus that it's hard for their mind to settle on anything, and so they're always going to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and yeah, it's take a deep breath, slow down, you know, let's look at this artist and talk about why they did what they did how they did what they did and they love it honestly like they love it but they just don't get it outside of a, an educational facility it's so different from reading an art history book these days totally yeah i mean I, i'm tempted to call it the tiktok effect i mean i started just loading up tiktok just so i could put out some shorts just as an experiment of the of this show actually and uh I mean, it's kind of like to your, as you're describing, just onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. That really is kind of the, like, that's what I was thinking as you were describing that. I'm like, that sounds like TikTok. And, you know, I almost want to call it the TikTok effect. And so, anyways, it's like photography, especially of the kind that you're describing, is almost the exact opposite. And I think, as you say, there is, it's like there's an opportunity there because, as you say, they love it. They love actually slowing down and actually discussing things a little bit. So that's super interesting. So MVP, I'm going to ask you, since nobody's coming up on stage, I'm going to ask you what you have coming up. And then I'll go to Dr. Version and see if he's got anything in the pipeline for us, uh, unless anybody else wants to come on stage. But MVP, what's on for you next? Um, I actually, I'm going to be starting a, a space called Second Scoops. And I want to try and promote secondary sales in, in the space. Um, I think that it's, that it's one thing um, that if the space is going to survive, 
um, we as artists like fl flipping PFPs is working just great. It, it's still working great the way it always has been. Um, but if we want to encourage collectors to come into the art space and collect art, then there has to be some value to it besides just an aesthetic value. And I think that we can share each other's work. We can promote each other. Um, but if we're just as artists always having a new project, new project, new project, then we're not leaving anything for the collectors who want to buy two of our pieces and put one on secondary. So I, I we'll see how it goes. It's a, it's kind of a, an idea that I've been thinking about for about a month. Um, and I'm hoping that, uh, that it, that it is helps people not only like will collectors be more willing to come into the space and buy work from artists. Um, but you know, they'll have money to do it because they'll, you know, it'll just bring a new, a new crowd. So what, is, what is the, uh, explain again, how, how the, what is the function of secondary? It's yeah. It's, I mean, it's basically just promoting secondary sales to say, look, there's already plenty of amazing work out there. You don't have to be looking for drop parties and launches and horns and bells. Like uh, you look through foundation, like only 10% of the work on there is sold. Like, you know, it's, 90, it's so yeah. interesting. I, I'm really glad that you talk about that. This that's, that's been like a, a, a topic I've, I've been sharing with a lot of people is like, you know, it's always, as you said, the next project, the next, the next one and the next one and the next one is just like on to the next one. And, you know, you don't usually see secondary sales until something crazy happens and everyone, you know, is kind of jumping on this artist because their value is going up. And I've been talking a lot with my cousin, uh, Joe Rogan's dad, about having like some kind of event that's based on secondary sales. And I just think it's so crucial because, you know, as as creators, a lot of a lot of us were attracted to NFTs because of this concept of royalties and this kind of everlasting value that you could apply to your work without having to go through some gallery or some huge, awful, real art world system that's very complicated and very gatekept. Uh, but then you have you run into this problem, especially if you're new. Even if you are getting like some good sales and stuff like that, and your market's looking great, that it's just really all about the next drop and you very rarely get any interest in the archives of your work. And I think it's so important to, to do that. I'm kind of famously known for <laughs> missing the primary sales on most artists, but I have no problem doing secondary if it's not out of my, you know, out of my reach. And I think that's probably the best way that you could support any artist is to buy something secondary from them. Because not only are you helping their market and their collectors who already collect them, you know, you're, you're showing interest beyond just that primary sale. Well, I think I've helped many uh, artists on that secondary front. Uh, more probably for my own self-interested reasons, but I'm glad to help people out in the process. Uh, St. Mars, ST Mars, Mars, what shall we call you? Welcome to the stage. Thanks for coming up. And where are you calling from? Uh, East Texas. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So tell us, I mean, I see this tweet you put out here. William Blake is my hero. Uh, would you like to speak a little more to that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, William Blake, uh, you know, you said imagination. That's the first name that popped up. But he's definitely, uh, 
ingrained in in you know my artwork and everything. I, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to skip that and go to what uh, uh, MVP was saying about uh, famous photographers. I think if you asked uh, a young person today, they'd probably say Casey Neistat. Oh, famous photographer Casey Neistat. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I don't even the other I, the other thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. The other thing I was going to say was, uh, uh, to be honest, I really didn't know a whole lot of major photographers until I started prompting in AI and I wanted good, you know, AI photographs. And so I started researching photographers and realized, you know, because I wanted to prompt them, even though that's not cool with some people. But, you know, and so I was doing this fake war photography and I ran across Roger Fenton, who I've never heard of. But evidently, he's one of the greatest uh, war photographers, and um, you know, I had fun learning through that way. Anyway, that's what I was going to say. Thanks. Well, that is fascinating, and uh, you know, I kind of like, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I think it's so interesting though that you do mention William Blake, and that that was your first association with the imagination, because you're right. I mean, I mean, Blake kind of really, you know, and I almost felt somewhat self conscious putting out this title out here for this. Uh, spaces, you know, you know, heroes of the imagination, but it's a, it's, it's because like, but the imagination is a real thing. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a ephemeral concept a little bit, you know, and so it, I just think it's interesting. So tell us though, help us out, you know, what is it about William Blake's work uh, to ask you kind of a softball down center plate question? What is it about William Blake's work that kind of excites you and that, that makes you just, that, that inspires you. Well, to be honest with Blake, it's that he was painting and writing what he saw. And so these weren't just experiences that he imagined up, but that he was in real time, whether it was real or not, you know, if it was a neurological disorder or whatever, but he was constantly living in visions. And, and so if he talks about the prophet Ezekiel, it's because he really saw him in his living room talking to him. And, and so it's, it's almost like with William Blake, it's like a real life documentation of the imagination come, come true. And um, not to be too weird, but I mean, I kind of have a little bit of that. I mean, I don't see dead people, but I do have like, you know, spiritual interactions that uh, I don't know. It's awkward. Yeah, no. But yeah, that, that's why I like That's fascinating. Yeah, I believe Blake called it the divine imagination. I mean, he really saw it. And I mean, I think, I mean, these are invisible situations that we're thinking about just in terms of like, how do you place the, these are invisible realities, you know? And, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, he kind of nestled in, as you're saying, the, like religious uh, experience in with the imagination. Like, I mean, how do you separate that stuff out? It, we're still working this out. I mean, again, this modern science, quantitative, you know, data, there's no quantitative data on this stuff. I mean, there might try obliquely, but there is no kind of direct, you know, ex, you know, there are 10, you know, cells of imagination and we can, you know, two is the prophet Ezekiel and whatever. Right. So, so anyway, so that is fascinating. And, yeah, no, it's great to hear, uh, Mars, and I really appreciate you coming on stage. And just as to uh, as as we wrap up, let's hear from Lily Illo. Lily, welcome from Australia. Where are you calling from in Australia? If you want to share. 
Hi, Adrian. Good good morning. It's like 2.30 in the morning for me, and I know I'm notoriously bad at requesting to come up to speak at the very end of a space because I build up my courage. Um, but yeah, I'm calling from Canberra, which is the capital of Australia, um, somewhere between Sydney and Melbourne. That's me. Well, that's totally awesome. I'm a huge fan of your work, as you probably know by now. You are a, would you call yourself an AI artist? And I mean, were you making art before? Tell us a little bit about your art. Yeah, I just, I, I don't want to take up too much time because I know you're wrapping up and Yeah, take I'm your time. We can, we, we can go like, uh, you know, five or 10 minutes longer. So all good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, I would just call myself an artist. <laughs> um, not necessarily an AI artist. Um, because I feel like that's just a medium, but um, yeah, I'm an artist and I do work with AI, but previously I was working in more traditional mediums like watercolor and um, installation and drawing. I did a master's of fine arts majoring in drawing, but it was kind of a broad understanding of the concept of mark making. So drawing in a really broad sense, but um, but yeah, I, I, am, I studied uh, art and um, a Bachelor of Art History theory um, and then a Master's in Curatorial Studies and Master's in Fine Arts. Um, yeah, and, and now I'm, yeah, predominantly working in AI, definitely, at the moment. But I, I was um, fascinated with this beautiful theme. I saw you post about it during the week and I wanted to kind of, um, yeah, listen in to hear other people speak and your spaces are just always so wonderful. I'm mostly listening back to them the next day, but um, it's nice to be here. I don't know why I woke up at one o'clock today in the morning, but here I am. So it's lovely to be here and I just am very grateful. Well, I'm grateful as well and we're glad to hear from you and we're glad you woke up uh, and that it worked out like this because, uh, again, it's so late out there. And that was where I was going to go next with what you're bringing up is the theme here. And I think it's so like this is what's so valuable about doing a space like this is, you know, for all I know, you were just started making art, you know, two months ago. And it sounds like you've spent a lifetime in the business, which to me, it makes perfect sense, judging from, you know, what it seems to be your great eye uh, for, you know, images. So. Can you speak to our uh, theme a little bit here? Do you have any heroes of the imagination as we've been discussing here? Are there anybody who just, you know, almost, you know, somewhat almost helped guide you, the trajectory of your imaginative life to a certain degree? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Adrian, there are so many artists that do guide me. But um, when I was thinking of this theme for your, your space, um, and something that I'm really deeply exploring at the moment in my work uh, is is my dad. <laughs> it sounds um, really sappy, but um, there's something that I'm very connected with at the moment with my dad, who is um, he is quite elderly. He just is about to turn eighty, and he's got um, he's just been diagnosed with dementia, and it's sort of like it's an interesting time for me because. Um, he definitely shaped me as an artist growing up and he was an, a carpenter, comes from a long line of carpenter joiners in the family of um, his side. And we, you know, I grew up around his tools and woodwork and um, the shed and we would make things and explore carpentry joinery. And I grew up also like 
<laughs> learning a lot of grandma skills like lace making and patchwork quilting and sewing and stuff it, it was just my childhood i think i had older parents who um listened to classical music and i really didn't get much popular culture growing up so i i got a lot of grandma skills um and which i value very deeply and um but yeah i think you know re kind of at the moment i'm having deep conversations with my dad to try and uh talk to him about his youth and his um like his long-term memory is really strong so i'm deeply like inspired by diving into that at the moment and it's informing a lot of my art practice and like my personal history my family history so yeah uh, i i think for the imagination at the moment i would have to say my dad and then <laughs> he was an architect as well so he was a you know deeply inspired by modernist architects so i think that definitely comes through in my understanding of art as well and modernism is a really strong theme in my work i think but an artist that i'm drawn to um but i also i wanted to just say like i think ai at the moment um i'm i love it i'm i'm in love with it the process of it um but the the way that i use it is not just um initial prompting but then like this outpainting is quite um a a part of my process when i'm working with the ai and when i'm outpainting from initial prompts and things there's this thing that happens where like the ai imagines what might exist beyond the frame the initial input of an image and it imagines and builds out from that initial image and there's something that i really connect with i've always been drawn to naive art and there's something in the learning of ai at the moment that i really connect to that naive art experience where it tries so hard to please you and to present something that it thinks you want in that out painting and um something beautiful about the mind there and i can't help draw parallels between my dad's mind and and what's happening for him and the brain and how ai works and anyway it's a poetic process but um yeah <laughs> i don't know if that explains anything but thanks i it, it, i think it explains a surprising amount and just on the topic your dad there's nothing sappy about it i think a lot of us could relate to your story you know uh, my dad's 80 I think 84, not a dissimilar situation. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's just one of those things that, uh, yeah, it hits at your core. So I think it's beautiful that, and I think it's quite smart actually that you're, you know, uh, that you're asking him about things in that in his long-term memory, you know, and so you can kind of connect, right, in that respect. And now just in terms of, as again, as we wrap up here, but just uh, before you go, though, I, the outpainting, help people out because I think I know what you're talking about. Like, I thought outpainting was maybe when you erase something, say in, in Dali, can't you erase something like a hand and then it'll give you a new hand? But you're also saying it can expand beyond the frame. Could you just uh, explain what outpainting is to people? Yeah, so I find um, like the erasing and replacing is more what we would call in painting. 
So you have, you can, in DALI, you can upload an image, say, and choose elements for which you want to erase with the little eraser tool. And then you can prompt for what might replace that erased section. And the AI will understand what's in the frame and then build something that makes sense in that space that you've erased. Um, but the outpainting process is that you're I will input an initial image to DALI and then build out from that frame um, so you can expand the frame and then prompt to build out from that. Um, and so it's sort of a back and forth between different models. I'm initially working in stable diffusion and then I pull into DALI and do a lot of outpainting um, because uh, it's, it's a really fun process for me and I feel like there's been more uh, more often than not there's been these really um, powerful uh, builds from the initial image and to the point where like it's almost intuitively understands what I want there and I'm really broad with my prompting when I'm out painting like I might say um, you know, I want a cream wall and wooden floors or something as I build out from my initial portrait. But somehow the AI wants to surprise you and wants to intrigue you and gives you this like artifact of like, one time it built out these wood planks that sat below the subject. And I didn't ask for wood planks at all. And it just popped them there. And I was immediately like, struck by how personal that was to me um and so i immediately recognized the painting as a self-portrait only because ai had given me these little artifacts and it was quite a profound um moment and and i keep finding that in the art painting process so yeah i i think the dialogue there is just so poetic and and beautiful <laughs> I mean, you make me want to just run over and load up stable diffusion and just get to work right away. <laughs> I, I, totally. I mean, that's totally inspired. Tell us. Okay. So this is fascinating. Now, just uh, uh, finally, um, what do you have next on, on tap, Lily Hello, Are you going to continue with what you're working on? Do you have any projects coming up? Uh, what's going on? What's coming? Thank you. Look, I, I don't want to take any, any time, but I'm just um, continuing with my projects on Tezos and I might venture to foundation um, soon <laughs> if I get my courage up. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just continuing on. Adrian, thank you. Well, excellent. I think you'll do fabulously on foundation. So I would definitely do that. Thank you for chiming in, Lily Illo. It's really great to hear from you. And Dr. Version, um, do you have anything coming up? I mentioned that I would go to you before we've left. Is, is there anything coming up for you? If you are, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah real quick. Um, Lily, my father just had a stroke about three months ago, so I can totally, I, I totally feel you. And it's crazy that the long-term memory is there and then the short-term is disappears, but a uh, weird underlining theme to this uh, rug radio. <laughs> but um, for me, uh, I am continuing with the series I got going. I need to put some limitations on it because I, you know, I think limitations are good for artists to define things, but I will have another landscape this week and continue on Tezos and also Ein Foundation as well. Uh, just like Lily, oh. um, working on some more 
work that takes longer. Um, but yeah, thanks everybody. Thanks for having me. That is fascinating. So on stage, yeah, feel free to send if, whatever you do on foundation. Cause I miss a ton. So I, I'm thrilled to just kind of see what people are working on. Thank you, Dr. Version. Thank you, Lily Gillo. Yep. Thanks a lot. And thank you, MVP and Mars. And thank you, everybody who showed up. Runtoon, do you have any final comments for us? I was surprised how much photography was a topic uh, for this conversation, for the imagination of all things. Uh, but I love it. Uh, it was great to hear from you all. Thank you so much. I love it, too. And what a great observation. And that is so true. And it just goes to show you never know what's going to come up when you go for coffee with your friends. Thanks, everyone. Enjoy your day. I am off to pick up some shoes at the store so I can go to the gym again. Thank you. <laughs>